Roundup with your host, Victor Beltran. Welcome, everyone. It's the weekly wrap-up with me, Victor Beltran, episode three. Thanks for tuning in. Let's start off with what uh, happened this weekend on Sunday. Championship Sunday. You know, I don't know what I like more, the Super Bowl or Championship Sunday. Um, Championship Sunday, you got four, I mean, you got two games, four teams battling, trying to get to the big game. So, you know, this is definitely something that I've always looked forward to, Championship Sunday. Um, two great games always on. Um, but this, uh, this Championship Sunday really only had one great game. You look at the first game, uh, Tennessee versus the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, if you put money on the Chiefs, like I said, um, you you won. Uh, obviously, they did not cover. Um, I thought the Chiefs would cover. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. I thought the, the Titans would be able to keep it a one-possession game. But um, we saw what the, the magic of Patty Mahomes can do. The game started off with Tennessee doing what we thought they were going to do. They ran the football well. Uh, they played great defense, really limiting uh, the Chiefs to any offense in the beginning of the game. But once they got it going, um, just like the Houston game, uh, they, the Chiefs just became uh, just too much for Tennessee to handle. Um, a lot of people were overlooking the Kansas City defense. Uh, they really stepped up. Um had uh, Tennessee on the ropes right after uh, Tennessee had that early that early lead. You know they were up 10-0. Uh, then Kansas City struck, um, and once Kansas City struck, you know they were going to strike again. Um, they put up 14 in the second. Uh, the third quarter, the Tennessee Titans and the Chiefs just was a nice defensive battle. Uh, neither team would give way, but come to the fourth quarter, uh, Kansas City was able to put up two more touchdowns and. Uh, you know, pretty much uh, there was a little bit of a scare for the the Chiefs there towards the end. Um, but uh, Patty Mahomes hit uh, Watkins on a beautiful deep ball that pretty much broke the game open um, and put the game out of reach for the Titans. So um, let's talk a little bit about uh, what we learned from that game. Uh, we definitely learned that uh, Patrick Mahomes um, is, the, is the key factor for the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, they... You know, they really didn't do too much uh, on running the football. Um, Williams only had 45 yards on 17 carries. Uh, Patrick Mahomes actually was their leading rusher. He had eight carries, 53 yards. Had that incredible run down the sideline. I don't know why. I, I don't know why. I understand that you can't hit quarterbacks nowadays, right? You're going to get the automatic 15 yards, possibly throwing out the game. But if he's running with the football, you have to hit him, especially if he's making moves on the sideline, avoiding tackles. Like this is a free shot at the, the, the most valuable piece of this team. Hit him hard. You know, make him think about running that ball. He, he like broke a couple of tackles and, and they, they weren't even like big tackles. They were just people like thinking that, you know, they kind of hesitated when they approached him thinking that he was going to slide. But I mean, you see him running down the field like that, you know, doing spin moves. You, you gotta hit him. You get. You gotta. You gotta make him think twice before trying to run outside the pocket like that. So, um, I mean, it was a good run by by Patty Mahomes, but I definitely think that uh, Tennessee. You know, that, that that's a that's a wasted moment. You could have very easily just gave him a nice big hit, and uh, you know, maybe he misses a couple plays, uh, but he definitely will think twice before uh, turning the corner. So uh, the next game was, of course, my favorite game of the weekend. 
the San Francisco 49ers versus your, uh, the Green Bay Packers. Um, this game was a pretty much exactly how I, how I thought it would play out. You know, I understand um, what Aaron Rodgers brings to the table. I get that. I know he's a future Hall of Famer, one of the best to ever do it. But you got to have time to throw the football. You know, you got to have time. I don't I don't care who you are. If you don't have time to throw the football, nothing is going to happen. Um, the 49ers jumped out to a 27-0 lead by the half. 27-0. Game's already pretty much over. Um, it was, this was just a one-sided affair. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers had 326 passing yards, but those were all towards the end of the game when the 49ers were running prevent defense. Um, they, I mean, they shut it down. Um, if you if you take away the the one big play Sherman gave up to, to Devonte Adams, I mean they pretty much didn't do anything. You know Devonte Adams was their one highlight here, nine receptions for 130 yards, including that long one for 65. But other than that, there was nothing going on, absolutely nothing. They were held to 62 yards total rushing. Um, Jones 12 carries for 56 yards. So that was this is that game was just a defensive clinic um they're, they're, the Niners are just built uh to stop a team like the Green Bay Packers you know when you're relying on your passing game and the 49ers don't have to blitz because they got four guys that can get in there every single play you know it really takes a lot of pressure off the secondary you really have more guys back there to stop the pass and ultimately that was the, the key factor in this game um in terms of the defense when you look at the offense when you look at the offense oh my goodness um the 49ers had 42 carries for 285 yards i mean kyle shanahan said before the game you know we're gonna run it until they stop it and they just couldn't do it they couldn't stop mostert mostert 29 carries 220 yards four touchdowns um i mean a single man wrecking crew um, you got to give it up to Mostert on, on some of those uh, runs. But on a, on a couple of those runs, I mean, there was a hole the size, you know, I could drive a semi-truck. It was just these giant holes that the line was making for him. Um, there was a one-sided battle on that line of scrimmage, and the San Francisco's O-line dominated. They dominated on the defensive side of the ball as well. Um, and that's why you get a, a score like that. I mean, 27-0 at the half, um, that's going to be a representation of uh, the one-sided affair you know, the 49ers were getting pressure on Aaron Rodgers all day. Um, you know, they totaled uh, three sacks on the game, and uh, the Green Bay Packers only had one. They weren't really able to um, put that much pressure on Jimmy. But then again, then Jimmy wasn't even the, the reason. I mean, Jimmy only went back uh, for eight attempts, six completions for 77 yards. Um, you know, you think, well, what did, what did Kittle do? Kittle's the, the best offensive weapon. He had one catch for 19 yards. But Kittle was not really, uh, for that game, was not really uh, used to be a receiver. He was a blocker most of the game. Um, they ran a nice little two tight end uh, form um, play call where they would be able to run a lot of these uh, sweeps and really put some, uh, some, some, some hats on the outside pressure of the Packers. And ultimately, uh, a lot of these big runs was uh, a result of the tight ends blocking on the outside. So... Kyle Shanahan, uh, bravo, bravo um, at this play calling. You know, you, you think that, well, uh, well, all he did was run the ball. Well, I mean, 
it wasn't uh, the same run each time. You know, sometimes it was an inside run. Sometimes it was a sweep. Um, all these different runs, uh, receiver run, receiver sweeps. So just just an array of play calling by by Shanahan. Even though most of them were run plays, um, they were still very effective. And and the most important thing about this is is we all know what Kyle Shanahan can do. We all know that he is an offensive genius. And we know what happened a couple of years ago when he was with Atlanta. He was the offensive coordinator, had a huge lead on the Patriots, and they gave up the greatest comeback in playoff history to the GOAT and Tom Brady. Now, that's fresh in his mind. And I'm certain that there are plays that he has designed, that he has kept in that bag of tricks. And he didn't have to use one of them on Sunday against the Packers. He didn't have to use not one. So now he has all these great plays that he can keep in that back pocket for the Super Bowl. You know, you look at uh, that game. If you're Kansas City, what do you? What did you learn? Stop the run? Okay. We all know what San Francisco does with the, with the running game, but you really didn't get to see some of that, uh, that passing game. Um, so I think that that's a huge advantage for the 49ers. Um, the fact that they beat the Packers one-dimensionally, just running the ball and with great defense, you are able to kind of keep your strategy pretty much under wraps for the Super Bowl since you were basically able to to dispatch your last opponent opponent um, using uh, um, just uh, minimal weapons, just running the ball. So um, we'll talk a little bit um, about the Super Bowl um, on next week's episode. Uh, we're really just going to concentrate uh, mostly on NBA um, this episode. So uh, before I move on to the NBA, um, stay on staying on football. So let's we got Patrick Mahomes. Uh, he's going to be a free agent after next year. He's still under the rookie deal. I mean, he's um, he's a the best bargain in football right now. So what is fixing to happen is we all know is he's going to get a giant contract. Now, the market for quarterback uh, is just going up, right? They're, they're con- every, every season, it seems like a, a new quarterback sets a new record for the, for the biggest contract. So right now, here comes uh, Patrick Mahomes. People are talking about you know, upwards of $35 million. Some people say $40 million, $42 million a season. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and knock on anybody's hustle, anybody's money. You know, these, it's a very dangerous sport. Um, you should definitely get your money. But this is what's going to happen if you give Patrick Mahomes $40 million per season. You are essentially saying that you don't want to have future success in winning a Super Bowl. Now, I know what you're thinking. That doesn't make any sense. You're, you're, you're signing your future. And I get that. But let's just go down the list of quarterbacks, what happens to them after they get these ridiculous contracts. Joe Flacco, after he won the Super Bowl, got a ridiculous contract. What did he do after that? He didn't even go to the Super Bowl after that. Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson just got a really big contract a few seasons back. What has he done since he's got the big contract? He has not been to the Super Bowl. Matt Ryan got a big contract after the Super Bowl with the, with, with, when he went to the Super Bowl. What happened after that? Has not been in the Super Bowl back and didn't even make the playoffs last year. Cam Newton. Again, big contract after his Super Bowl, getting to the Super Bowl. What happened after that? Nothing. Aaron Rodgers. Super Bowl win against Pittsburgh. Get the huge contract not too long after that. 
What's happened since then? No Super Bowl appearances. There is only one quarterback. Actually, this quarterback does not file under that because this quarterback takes discounts. In particular, the Giselle discount. When your wife makes more money than you, you are able to go, you know what? You know, I don't need to take, you know, this ridiculous amount of money. I don't have to be the highest paid quarterback, even though I'm the GOAT. So you can go, I'll go ahead and sign this discount deal. Let's go ahead and get more players, make a better team. Um, I can have more weapons to to succeed. And that's ultimately how you win uh, Super Bowls. Let's just take Tom Brady, like I just said. He's the example I'm referring to. You know, he takes these discounts. Like I said, granted, it's the Giselle discount, so he does have that going for him. Not everybody has Giselle, but it's, it, it, I mean, the logic still works. You, you, the, 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 here's the thing. When you have this hard cap that the NFL has, okay, now uh, the, the cap does, it does go up. You know, they have you know, the, the NFL PA and the owners that get together uh, to raise the cap, but the way, it, the, the raising of the cap is not in direct correlation with the salary raises of the quarterbacks. Quarterbacks are getting raises every year. They're taking up more of the cap, which is leaving less money for the rest of the players. You know, I understand that the quarterback is the most important position in any team sport, but at the end of the day, if you are allocating all this money to the quarterback, how are you supposed to get help around him? How do you pay your offensive linemen to protect him? How do you pay the wide receivers to catch the football? It just doesn't work. And you see it year after year after year. The only way a team is going to really have any action at a Super Bowl is is when they have these quarterbacks that are really young and still under their rookie deals because they're not paying the quarterback this absurd amount of money. So they have most of their money, um, you know, reserved for their running backs and their defense alignment and your safeties and linebackers and, you know, all these other different positions that, that, that are relevant to the success of a franchise. And it's just... It's just something that that it, that the system is broken when it comes to quarterback contracts. It's broken, and I have a solution for that. Um, I believe the way you solve this issue is that the quarterbacks are on are on their own cap. You know, it's like the quarterback cap, and it it's, it allows you to pay. Um, let's just say you can take the average of the 10 highest paid quarterbacks, and let's just say that number comes out to twenty, you know, $25 million a season. So you have what's called the quarterback cap, which allows you to pay up to $25 million for that quarterback while your other cap remains the same. If you exceed that cap, let's say you go to $30 million for your quarterback, that's $5 million over the quarterback cap, and there you, 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 uh, you make up a percentage um, that gets applied to the other cap, so you go five million over. That's a certain percentage, and that percentage gets affected to the the other cap, and you know. So that gives incentive not to go so much over the quarterback cap. So you know, let's say you go to fifty million. That's twenty five. That's you double the quarterback cap. So that definitely limits your money. But if you keep it at twenty five million, I mean, it essentially does not affect your your t- your other team cap. I mean, it's just an idea. I don't know how uh, easy that would be to happen, but. If you're going to sit here and say that the quarterback is the most important position and they deserve $40 million a season and you got a receiver making $2 million, $1 million a year, I mean, come on. That's just it's, – it's not, it's not going to work. You know, you need, to, you need to be able to go after other players without 
you know, you can't uh, pay your quarterback full forty million dollars a season, and all of a sudden, you just basically can't can't address all the issues. We've already established that they're going to be uh, in their own category of making all this money, and that's fine. I mean, we all agree it's a hard position; very people can do it. But it's it's really creating issues for for football teams. Um, now, granted, it's the same issue for across the board, but. I mean, it really did help for for the Patriots to have the the discount for all those years with Brady, and you saw how much success they had. So what I'm saying is, you should give some incentive to people to get do that discount, help the team out, and maybe you know there'll be uh, more money to go around for the other players. You know, at the end of the day, um, I'm pro player. I'm pro. I'm pro, especially in football where most of the contract isn't even guaranteed. Um, let's go ahead and get these guys paid. You know, let's go ahead and get the quarterbacks on their own, own cap, so it doesn't really uh, affect the overall team cap. I think that's really one of the only solution I can think of at the moment. I'd like to bring up one more, uh, one more thing. Um, a special uh, happy trails uh, to Eli Manning. Um, he has announced his retirement from the National Football League after 16 seasons. There's this debate about well, is uh, is Eli Manning uh, gonna get in like his you know his brother obviously first ballot, and I think he is actually. I think Eli deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. It's you know his resume. Let's well let's go over his resume. Uh, first of all, a little interesting fact: Eli Manning has made the most money ever from the NFL, two hundred and fifty-two million dollars for Eli actually uh, passing up his brother so that's pretty uh, pretty interesting uh, you know I think you have to you don't just pay money to people that can't play the game right and uh, you know football is different than you know basketball and baseball where you have these guaranteed contracts like the reason why he like got all that money was because I mean he, I wasn't gonna say he's gonna, he was consistent as like a big band of Tom Brady you always saw like flashes and he might have like a bad season here or there, but he rebounded well. And the fact that he won the Super Bowl twice, you know, it doesn't hurt. And the fact that both those time both those Super Bowls he beat the GOAT, Tom Brady, and the GOAT, Bill Belichick. And it wasn't just like, Well, I, I know he had a great defense. I realize this, but he made plays. He had big plays in both those games. And let's not forget the games that he had to win to get there. He beat Aaron Rodgers in Lambeau. He beat Brett Favre in Lambeau. So these are huge wins. Um, some of those games were low scoring. Defense played a big part, but he also made big throws. I, I particularly, uh, I remember against the Green Bay Packers. Uh, no, actually, it was against Brett Favre, I b- believe, where he hit that, uh, you know, that big Hail Mary uh, right before the half. Um, I mean, that's not really skill, more on the the luck side, but. There were, there, he made plenty of plays uh, to get there, and you can't discount that. Um, you know, he's he did a lot of comebacks late in the fourth. And so, yeah, I understand he had this great defense because, you know, you got to have a great defense to win games, but at the same time, offensively, you have to make big plays. And Eli, you know, he did it on the big stage. Like I said, went over Tom and Bill in the Super Bowl twice. Um, that can't be discounted. Another important stat 202 consecutive starts. That's third all time behind uh, uh, Brett Favre and uh, Philip Rivers, and Philip Rivers just passed him up. So, and guess what? The only reason why he even 
lost the streak was because they benched him. Now, yeah, he wasn't playing like super great, but it was it wasn't like due to injury or anything like that. So he could he could have definitely uh, that streak shouldn't have ended there. Seventh all time in touchdowns, passing yards, and completions. I think at the end of the day, he his accomplishments uh, put him into the Hall of Fame. I'm not gonna say he's first ballot Hall of Fame, but he definitely gets in. Funny thing I heard about Tom. Tom Tom Brady said uh, he's like to be honest, I wish you wouldn't have won any Super Bowls. So you know that just shows the competitiveness of Tom to take a little shot at uh, Eli. You know he he was uh, definitely a Hall of Famer, I think. And uh, you know I'm not a I'm not a decider, so I have no say so. Okay, so that's just a little bit of some NFL talk. Um, let's move on to the NBA. So, you know, I've said before in previous episodes, uh, you know, we're shot here. In, I mean, we're shot. We're recorded here in Houston. And uh, so the home team, Houston Rockets. The, you know, the Houston Rockets have this, uh, this scheme, this strategy, uh, of course, but you know, all, all put into place by Mike, Mike D'Antoni, the coach. And that's, let's go ahead and shoot as many three-pointers as possible. Let's just go down the court, uh, penetrate, and then dish it out, swing it, and shoot threes. I mean, they're shooting threes at a rate never before seen. And as long as they continue to do this, they will never win a championship. You cannot win a championship the way the Rockets are trying to win. It's not going to work. And let me explain. So the greatest three-point shooter of all time, percentage-wise, is Steve Kerr at 45%. Now, why do you think that... And that's Steve Kerr, right? Let's let's look at some of the numbers for the Rockets. You got Harden, 36%. Westbrook, 23%. Gordon, 34. House, 36. McLemore, 37%. None of these are, are better than 37%, which is a little bit over than one out of three. So how how do you think, does it make any sense to you to think that you should, you know, put all your eggs in one basket and that being the three-point line where one out of three shots is the average? No. It's just, it's, it's not, I don't understand it. It's not a very logical approach. Now, what are you going to say? What about the Golden State Warriors? First of all, the Golden State Warriors have two of the greatest three-point shooters we have ever seen. They have the best of all time in Steph Curry. And they have Klay Thompson, who is, again, one of the best all time. As a matter of fact, if you take the top 20 most three-pointers made, the players, those top 20 who have made the most three-pointers in NBA history, Steph Curry and Klay Thompson are three out of the top, I mean, are two out of the three top best shooting percentages of all those players. I mean, I just, I just, so you have two incredible future Hall of Fame players in Klay Thompson and Steph Curry. And you think that you can replicate that? No, you don't have Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. You have James Harden who's 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 exceptional. He's he's a one of the he's a better three-point shooter, but he's not Steph Curry. He's not Klay Thompson. And you can't implement that offense if you don't have the right pieces. 
And even if you take Golden State, yes, they shot a lot of three-pointers, but they also did not just settle for that. Um, the Golden State Warriors were known for their ball movement. Most of Klay Thompson's shots, he's not even dribbling. He's coming off screens and catching and shooting. So the ball movement of Golden State is just superb. And that is what the Rockets lack, ball movement. They rely too much on the isolation. I'm sorry, anyone that's played basketball knows that if the team is to be productive, if the team is to have long-term success, then everyone on the team must be involved. There are going to be times where James Harden is, is just not having one of those nights and he's not shooting well, and neither is, is Russell Westbrook. So if that happens, what are you going to do? I mean, you have, you have other players on the team that can shoot the ball and score, so why not give them opportunities? I'm not saying that James Harden goes from averaging 36 points a game to 26 points a game. Which, well, actually, actually, that wouldn't be that bad. I mean, I'm not saying he should go from 36 to 20, but 36 to 26, more assists, more ball movement, less isolation, less dribbling. You know, we've we've talked about the last couple of seasons that, oh, James Harden in the playoffs, he's just, he looks tired, he looks fatigued. Well, maybe that's because he handles the ball more than anybody in, during the regular season. Maybe it's because he dribbles more than anyone during the, in, in the season. Like, this guy does not, you don't need to have the ball uh, you don't need to have the ball for that much in the game to be successful. You just don't. And if he needs to have the ball that much in the game to be a great player, then it's not going to work because you got to have all these other guys around that team that are that are being productive. That you know, you know, when you when you're playing and you know that you're not even going to get the ball. I mean, they're just watching. These guys are just on the outside, really just watching. So if they're watching, who's getting the rebound? They're watching James shoot. Then they're not getting rebounds. They're getting beat on fast breaks. It's just, uh, yeah, it's just not working out for them at all. You need to completely change strategies. You need to have an inside game. You have Clint Capella down there. He can get it done on the inside. But you got to have ball movement. That is the reason why they will not win with all this isolation and three-point shooting. It's not going to work. I'm sorry. It's just it just ain't. I'm sorry. It won't work. It won't work. I definitely can't talk about the NBA without talking about this young man. And that's Zion Williamson. You know, uh he was a big deal coming out of Duke. You know, we saw the the high flying, the big dunks, the crazy blocks, big boy coming down the court, slamming it on you. I mean, this guy was uh I remember seeing him in high school, actually. he I was like, oh, my goodness. This guy is so big, yet he can move so quickly. Um, he, he reminds you of a, of a young Shaq, a big man that has that type of agility and speed. So, of course, he had the injury in the preseason. Uh, he was shelved longer than we expected. But, ladies and gentlemen, Zion Williamson, um, he's here. He's here, and he is uh, – I'm not going to say he's the real deal yet because – what we did not see was the explosiveness that we saw in college, where he was just ferocious and um, and really just came at you uh, play after play after play. Obviously, he can't do that. Um, they're trying to kind of kind of wean him in slowly but surely. 
But you know, they the the San Antonio Spurs dared him to shoot that three ball. They were giving him plenty of space, and he said, uh, "Thank you very much." Four for four from the three point line um, in the fourth quarter. I mean, he was just sensational. Twenty two points, eight on eleven, eight for eleven shooting in eighteen minutes. Um, Seventeen straight points. Uh, one point. I mean, the guy was just amazing. Like I said, seven, 17 points uh, in three and a half minutes. Uh, he was just a one-man show. If you look at the game, he actually brought him back. And they had a chance uh, there late in the fourth to actually win this game. But the coach uh, was advised by the medical staff, who ultimately uh, apparently can overpower the coach because uh, the coach was saying that he wanted to leave him in. But the medical staff overruled him, so they pulled him out. And uh, ultimately, San Antonio won that game. But 4 for 4 from the three-point line in the fourth quarter is no joke in your first ever NBA game. I mean, that just kind of shows you how this young man handled the pressure, um, especially because uh, you have all this buildup. Um, then it's a delay, so it's like more of a buildup. Uh, then, you, of course, you are limited. It's kind of hard to get, uh, get a rhythm. Uh, basketball, you definitely, as a shooter, as a scorer, have to ha- establish a rhythm. I didn't really catch the first half. I, I, I started watching the game uh, mid-third. He wasn't really in rhythm the first half. He didn't do too much scoring. Um, kind of, like I said, his first ever NBA game, um, full contact, and you, you don't really know what to expect. You know the bullseye's on you. But he overcame that. And, I mean, we saw what he did in the fourth quarter. And I'm, I'm very happy for him. You know, I hope that the injuries are, aren't an issue going forward. Uh, you, you always hate to see all this talent that isn't able to be put on the court and for all of us to enjoy, for them to succeed when there's injuries involved. It's just, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things that are unavoidable, but you just, you definitely have to, you have to watch how you play the game. And we definitely don't want that to suffer uh, with Zion. We definitely want that explosiveness, you know, the big rebounds, big dunks. So it's very interesting on how uh, on how they're going to continue to manage him and how he's going to continue to you know morph his game. If they're going to dare him to shoot the three ball, does he continue to hit the three ball? Um, does he attack the rim more? Uh, I think he's going to game by game get a little bit more aggressive. And as the season progresses, I think we're going to see that same Zion that we got at Duke. You know, he knows what what he can do, and I can only imagine that he's going to look to be that same uh, that same monster. So. Uh, I see. I see good things for New Orleans. Uh, they definitely got a nice little young roster, nice core with uh, Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram. So I definitely think with with the addition of Zion, they can have a nice little core there and uh, be a team for the future. Another thing uh, I want to bring up was, of course, the All Star selection. Mr. Pascal Siakam, congratulations! You are a starter for the Eastern All Stars. I said that uh, Pascal would be an all-star within the next two seasons, and he did it the very next season. Um, the East All-Stars, Captain Giannis Atingatumbo, I probably said that wrong, um, Joel Embiid, Pascal Siakam, Kemba Walker, and Trey Young was a surprise, uh, but he is dropping 29 points a game, redefining. I mean, he's basically Steph Curry now. You know, he's got the handles, the three-point shot, the small frame, so... Uh, you know, we saw how successful Steph, could, you know, Steph was as, as as a smaller player, someone who who really stretches the floor with that. Obviously, shooting like three, four feet behind the three point line, 
definitely has uh, changes the defense and how you guard him. So, and the fact that he can penetrate and, and, and distribute the basketball is always, of course, what you're looking for. So, uh, congratulations, Trey Young. You know, I didn't see that one coming, and I think there's probably other players that deserve it more. But, you know, it's one of those things that it's a fan thing, right? It's the fans get to decide. Fans are always uh, not the smartest when it comes to really uh, giving the you know the All Star games to the people that deserve it throughout the season, but. At the same time, we realize the All-Star game is just all for fun. Like, if you've seen any All-Star games recently, it's just uh, no defense, just, you know, alley-oops. And it's all good. It's all good fun, right? It has no significance for any type of playoff seeding or anything like that. So, I mean, it's fine. You know, players get to have a good time. Definitely want to encourage that. So, Western All-Star starters, you have Anthony Davis, Luka Doncic, James Harden, Captain by LeBron James and of course Kawhi Leonard. So you got definitely some nice starters from both sides. Should be interesting. Um I definitely would go with the West. I think they are a little bit more talented. Also, um it's in the city of Chicago, uh Go Bulls. Uh hopefully we can get an all star in there. I think I think Levine uh, was in consideration, so we'll see if he gets in. But um Anthony Davis is from Chicago, so uh, you know, obviously, I think LeBron James, he has the first pick. He's going to take Anthony Davis, and he's going to say, hey, guys, you know, this is uh, Anthony Davis's home city. Let's go ahead and give him the ball. And all-star game comes. Anthony Davis drops like 40 points, uh, 12 rebounds, uh, five, six blocks, and uh, he gets the MVP. So that's my prediction on that. The final thing I would like to talk about is the UFC fight. Um, the main event was uh, Cowboy Cerrone versus Conor McGregor. And I did not expect it to go like that. You know, I felt that Conor was going to win this fight. He was a big favorite. But in 40 seconds, I uh, did not see that coming. Um, the You know, if you didn't see it, um, it just was one of those things where you know, you know Conor's going to come out strong. You know he's going to be aggressive. He always is that way. So... If you're Cowboy Cerrone, you really should have been on the counter mode, you know, really just trying to weather the storm in the beginning, but he just was not unable to do so. Um, Connor attacked quickly, right from the jump, was able to land some very, you know, pretty devastating uh, shoulder strikes uh, to the face of Cowboy, damaging his nose very early on. Um, so that kind of set the, the tone early. Um, and then he, he landed a devastating head kick and just finished it off with some punches. And like I said, 40 seconds later, Connor's back. Um, you know, Cowboy, Cowboy's a tough guy. You know, he's been doing this for a long time. So I'm not going to sit here and say it's time for him to hang hang it up. You know, he lost to um, a very a, a very good MMA fighter in Conor McGregor. So I'm not going to sit here and say, hey, Cowboy, it's time to hang it up. You know, if he wants to keep fighting, keep fighting, you know. Um, I don't think that was an accurate representation of what uh, Cowboy Cerrone has left in the tank. So if he's definitely uh, wants to get back out there, um, no one should stop him. He's you know he's still he's still got some uh, some something left in the tank. So um, you know and it's unfortunate. You know someone has to lose, but obviously you never want to lose that quickly. Um, pretty one sided affair. So uh, this episode is a little bit shorter. Um, than my previous episodes, but uh, it's kind of a, a slower week in terms of in terms of sports. Um, but uh, this uh, next week's episode is definitely going to be 
a little bit longer. Uh, I'll have a guest on the show as well, and we will go over the uh, the Super Bowl definitely more in detail, break it down, give some predictions. Um, definitely would be a show that you'd want to catch. Um, that's it for this episode. If you have any comments, any concerns, any questions, suggestions, uh, the email is copcar23 at gmail.com. That is spelled K-O-P-K-A-R-23 at gmail.com. There is no affiliation with police. That is spelled copcar with a K. So there is no like, oh, were you ever? No, I was never with the police. Um, it's a long story on that email address, but that will get to me. Well, that's it, folks. Thanks for tuning in and uh, have a good one.